we, uh, we are in the midst of a battle, and we, I mentioned that earlier. And um, the, it's, as I mentioned last week, though, it's nice to, to know that you're on the, the winning side. You know, we're on the winning team. It, it, um, at least if you're on Christ's side, you're on that winning side. We have been looking throughout the year, focusing on the Christ, began the beginning of the year looking at the shadow of Christ through the Old Testament, considering the types and uh, indicators of the nature of Christ as he was to come, so that it wouldn't be a total surprise to people, though it was. And then we began months ago transitioning into the life of Christ. And, and as we've considered the, the life of Christ, we looked at his birth, his youth, his ministry. And then as we went through his ministry, we looked at those seven little side sections of his preparation, proclamation, power, parables, passion, pattern, and promises. And then last week, we moved into his triumphal entry, and uh, stating that we were moving into the transitioning into the end phase, if you would, of Christ's life on the earth. And so today, you know, after the entry, we know that he spent a couple days in the, in the, um, the city. We talked about that a little bit last week, a bit, that he was being tried and tested um, to find out his perfection. Though the people didn't realize that at all, the reality is that as they were choosing him as Messiah on that day, they were choosing him as the, the Passover lamb, the lamb that would be slain, the, the perfect sacrifice. And so then as he was being tested in the temple, with, unbeknownst to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians, they were actually checking him for the, for the blemish, for the imperfection, and they couldn't find any. And so all they did was give testimony to the fact that he was, in fact, that perfect lamb of God. Um, today, we want to slide into um, the, the, um, the arrest of Christ, which we'll turn into a moment. And, um, but as we look at that... Um, what we're going to see is that the, the warfare that's been going on in Christ's life, which we, we've kind of hinted at at different times. For example, when, um, when Christ was born, um, we talked about it at the time, just as a little side thing, not spending a lot of time on it. But the fact is that at his birth, the, the, the city of Bethlehem was surrounded by what? An angelic choir, right? No, it wasn't an angelic choir. It was a troop. It was, it was angels. But they were a host, and the, and the word there talks about uh, a, a host of soldiers. And so God had, if you would, brigades of angels stationed around Bethlehem to defend the birth of Messiah. There was a war going on. What was Herod going to do? Herod was going to wipe out every kid that was in, in, in born in Bethlehem. He didn't know the timing of it, and so God had... Um, Jesus taken out of Bethlehem before it all happened. Well, you know it wasn't Herod, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But we wrestle against spiritual powers and hosts in the darkness, right? And so who really was trying to wipe out all those babies? Satan was. We're going to look at that in just a moment, okay? And so, and then when Jesus was preparing for his ministry, he went out and spent 40 days uh, fasting in the wilderness, okay? Because he knew what was going to get ready to happen. He was getting ready to be tested, tempted. What happened the minute he was done being tempt, uh, having his 40 days of fasting? The devil came to him okay, and, and tempted him. Okay? And so, so this warfare was being played out throughout history as we looked at the focusing on the Christ, but really it was becoming more concentrated when Christ was on the earth because Satan knows the, the, the whole plan. Does that make sense? He doesn't know the timing like you don't know the timing, but Satan, I'm sure, knows the word of God. He knows his end. He knows his doom. And he knows that in order to, 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 to change God's plan, he has to cause God's plan to what? Fail in some way. Well, 
the apex of God's plan is what we're going to talk about next week. Christ's crucifixion, when Jesus is on the cross. And so he knows that, and not just that, but then you got the resurrection, which just seals the deal, right? And um, Which we'll look at, hope, Lord willing, in two weeks. And, um, but Satan knows that the time is what? It's close. It's dwindling. If he's got to do something, it's going to be, it's got to be now. Okay? And so we begin to see that intensifying as we look at the arrest of Christ. And so hopefully you're still there in Luke 22. We're going to be looking at Luke 22, but we're going to be looking at different passages like we normally do as well. But in Luke 22, well, when we look at the, his arrest, what I want to consider is the nature of this arrest um, that was going on as it is opposed to, in, not opposed to, but as it is in, in all the other areas. And that is that, first of all, there's the spiritual nature of this war that's in, that the arrest was just another skirmish of. Does that make sense? And it's hard for us. I mean, put yourself in the, in the place of Jesus as a human, okay, as a man, and then in the place of the disciples. Make sense? Okay. I don't think that we would have seen this as just, a, just another skirmish. It's just another skirmish in the eternal spiritual war that's going on. What we would have seen was the what? The flesh and blood. We'd have seen the swords, we'd have seen the spears, we'd have seen the soldiers, we'd have seen, you know, all that was going on, okay? And so, I want to keep that in mind, but we know, again, that there's what? There's a war going on beyond the war. And so, the spiritual nature of the battle. Well, what I saw, and hopefully you're recalling this as we're we're reading it, look at down at verse 53. First of all, there's the inferiority of the power of darkness. And in verse 53, Jesus went after... um, uh, Judas has come, and we'll look at different pieces of this coming back. After Judas has come, and the soldiers are there, and, and Peter has cut off Malchus's ear. Okay, Malchus is the high priest's servant. Okay, and Jesus has healed the ear, put the ear back on, and, and you'd think that everybody there would be like, oh, "This is the guy. Why are we here?" You know. But they continue on. Jesus says to him, "He says, let's start verse fifty-two for the context." He says, "Then said Jesus to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs?'" When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Now, in that, as we look at the inferiority of the power of darkness, the first thing we see is that it is limited in time. Okay? And I've got in there, this is your hour of darkness. Now, yours may not translate that way in your version, okay? But I'll tell you why my translation is, and this is your, your hour of darkness. I know on the bottom here, this is all what? It's Greek to you. Okay, that's right. Um, and you got it right, because this is Greek. Okay, but in the translation, okay, the importance is, is looking at what it says. In the first line, it says, the Allah, it says, but, then I'll tell you, this, Esten, is humon of y'alls. Okay, and I like putting y'all in there, because if you put you, you don't know whether it's singular or plural. So I'm glad when I'm down south and I can do that. You know, up north, it'd be kind of hard to look at me like, huh? Okay, use guys, yins. Yins, and uh, but this is this is of y'all. What's of y'all? Well, now he's going to say, tell us what this is of y'all's. The hour and the power or authority exousia. Remember, we talk about this word exousia a lot of times. You, in order to have exousia, you have to have the dunamis that goes with behind it. Remember the dynamite, the dunamis is the power that forces the authority. You know, when you're afraid of the the blue plastic um, lights going on behind you, it's not because you're afraid of blue plastic. But it's, and you're not really necessarily afraid of the little girl or the little guy or the big guy or big girl, whatever, that's going to get out of that 
car that has the blue plastic on top of it, you're actually afraid of the power that's behind the, all that. Make sense? Well, it's the same thing with when we talk about authority in the Word of God. You know, Jesus not necessarily was a very assuming kind of guy. You know, we're told in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing special that was about him. It wasn't like he was like, Goliath, you know, he was walking on the earth, and there was, oh, I'm fear of him. And there was nothing about him except for the fact that he had what? Great dunaman to go with his exousia on the earth. Do you understand? I mean, he could say to the, the winds and the waves, be still, and what would happen? It would, be, it would happen. He could say to the dead, Lazarus, come forth, and what would happen? He'd come forth. That's pretty good power to go along with the authority. Okay? Well, this says, this is of y'all, the hour and the power of darkness. And so, Jesus is saying to them, he says, listen, you know, I was with you all the time, but you didn't do anything, but here we are in the nighttime. Here we are in this moment, and it's yours. It is the hour of darkness and the power of darkness. Now, what's really neat about that word hurrah for hour is it means an hour, okay, but it is used, you know, as... We use different words figuratively as well. It refers to, figuratively, a small little bit of time. As opposed to, if I would say to you, the day of the Lord, would I be talking about a, a longer period or a short period? A longer period of time. If I talked about the year of something, then I'm talking about a, a longer period. But when, we, when they would refer to an hour, they were referring to a, a small time, a limited time amount of time. In other words, you've got this moment. You ever talk about the people who want 15 seconds of fame? Okay, They got the moment. They were on TV. People saw them. They wore that, that weird rainbow uh, wig and, and, and held up the John 3.16 sign, you know, and, or whatever. They got their, their 15 seconds of fame. And, um, but that's what he's saying to them. He said, this is your, your hour. Now, what's really exciting is turn... You can keep your finger in Luke 22. We'll come back. But turn to Revelation 12. And I like the fact that God's Word is consistent all the time. And uh, we talked about the birth of Christ and and the, the things were going on there. And I want to read the entire chapter. And so... When I, when I read long segments early, that means that the end, the end of the message gets shrunk up, right? Um, beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with a child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them into the earth. Now, let's stop for a moment there. And let's, what's the picture that's going on? Who's the woman with the 12 stars around her head and uh, with the sun and the moon under her feet? Israel, okay? Who's the dragon that, that, that caused a third of the stars to fall to the earth? Satan. And a third of the stars are the, the, the demons, the angels, okay? Um, who we refer to as demons now, but they're really still angels. They're just evil angels. Okay, so we pick it up in the middle of chapter or verse 4. It says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who's the child? Christ. Remember, we talked about that in Bethlehem. Okay? She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. 
And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. Ah, good, you were good. You, you got it right. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Then, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they did, um, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So what's going on now? Satan was poised to destroy the, 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 the man-child, the Messiah, the anointed one, as he gave birth. He had his hosts there ready to destroy it. But what happened? Well, he wasn't just caught up to the throne of God. God did what? He sent his angels. He sent his detachments. And without us knowing, in this peaceful, serene, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light. If we could get into the spiritual realm, there was a war that was going on. I mean, it was World War III. It was happening. There was nuclear bombs going off. I know it really didn't happen that way. But there were swords. and I mean, I don't know. You picture whatever you want to picture. I'm, th- I'm looking at angels of light and angels of darkness, and they're going at each other, you know? And... and in, 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 the, in the angels of darkness, they wanted to destroy. You know, they got the word of their commander who is the destroyer. His name is Abaddon. His name is Apollyon. And their commission is to destroy that child. Destroy the child. And, and God's got his holy angels there. And the war is going on. And Satan's not able to prevail. And so the war continues and Satan is thrown to the earth. And now we're told what? Woe to you. Woe to you, because Satan came down, how? Very angry. Very angry. Who is he angry at? He's angry at his, his soldiers, because they didn't prevail. That's not true. Who is he angry at? He's angry at God. And everybody on God's side. That's exactly right. So guess what, y'all? The day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you knew it or not, and those who witnessed to you should have told you, you also entered the army. You enlisted on God's side. And there are no people, again, like I said before, sitting on the fence. No one likes a traitor. You be a traitor to the other side, a defector, and guess what? They don't trust you either. They gladly, what? Take your information, but they never accept you. Because if you, if you betrayed one uh, country, what prevents you from what? Betraying another country. You make sense? So this war is going on. It's, it's so exciting to me. Well, so we see this going on, okay? And then, that, that Satan's going to come against the church then. Uh, he's going to come against Israel. He's going to come against the church. And I'll, I'll forego the last four or five verses. You can read those later. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, where we see the end game. When Anna and I play Candyland together, 
we we always play. You know, we have the we have three different games usually that go on within the game because we play to the end of the cards. Okay, and so if somebody happens to win, then we just continue to play. But the person who got there has to go all the way back to start and play all over again. And then if if the second person got to the start, what happens a lot of times she gets to start twice before I ever get through and or to finish. I mean, and so if the second person gets to finish, they got to start all over again. Then we have what we call the end game because whenever the cards run out, that's where the game ends. And so you know someone may win two games to one within one game. You know, and it doesn't matter who won the first game; it matters you know who had the most games at the end. Well, this is the end game. Make sense? The game of life is being played. Okay. And this is the end game. And so we look at Revelation chapter 20, look at verses 1 to 3 first. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon, that is the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should, de- so he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Drop down to verse 10. Then the devil, who deceived them, um, well, actually, I, I, let, let's go to verse 7, sorry. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up from the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and of the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire, in brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, the power of darkness at times seems pretty impressive, but the encouragement is it's not going to last forever. It's only for a limited time, and God's already got the end game mapped out. While the other side of it is, again, it is limited in authority. This is your authority or power of darkness. But we know that the only authority that they can have, that darkness can have, the only power that they can wield is what? Say again? What has been given them by by God. What God has allowed. And so, again, back in Luke 22, look at verse 31. We'll look at this again in just a moment, uh, later in the message. But Jesus is talking to, to Peter right here, Simon Peter, and he says, Shimon, Shimon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Well, I'm sure glad he's asked you, because I know that you're going to tell him, no, you're my rock, you're my defender, you're, the, you're my strong fortress. Well, it didn't happen that way. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We'll talk about that again in a moment. But what happened? Satan had to do what? He had to ask permission. He could have no, no power over Peter, over Simon Peter, over Shimon, had not Jesus allowed it. Remember Job? Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. Have you seen my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, one that worships me. Oh, that's because you don't let me at him. Let me have a moment with him, God, you know, and we'll see how much this Job character worships you. Go ahead, you can mess with him. You just can't kill him. And so in that, that time then Job loses all of his flocks, he loses all of his herds, he loses all of his children. He loses his wife's respect, who tells him, go ahead and you know, curse God and die. Okay? But, but, but Job holds on to his integrity and his worship of God, and he says, naked I came into the world, naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan comes back, God says, ha! Ha! Wouldn't, you be, wouldn't it be pretty cool 
if God could use you as a ha in the face of Satan? I allowed him. I allowed you to mess with him. But look at him. He still glorifies me. He still worships me. In spite of all that I allowed you to do to him. Satan says, flesh for flesh. Let me touch him. And then we'll see how much. Fine. You can touch him. You just can't kill him. He gets boils to the point that he'd, he'd prefer to die. I mean, if you read the book of Job, you understand that Job's basically saying it would be better for me to be dead than uh, be better for me not to have been alive than to experience all this. And yet, in all that, though he said, I want to see God face to face and I want to be able to put, he still did not what? Deny God. He still did not um, turn against God. He still glorified God as God. Does that make sense? Satan could have no power, quote-unquote, over Job had not um, God allowed it. Turn with me to, um, to John 19. And as we turn to John 19, I want to talk about this limited authority, but also along with the second side of this, and it is the superiority of the power of light. The superiority of the power of light. In John 19, beginning verse 10, we read of an interaction between Pilate and Jesus. There was probably more that went on in that, that interaction than we have in Scripture. It had been kind of interesting to be the fly on the wall for that whole conversation. But what an amazing statement that is being made here by Jesus. Says, and Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power? I have the exousia. I have the authority, the power to crucify you. And I have the power, I have the right, the authority to, to, to release you. I mean, okay, so who's Jesus talking to right now? Well, there, there's a conversation going on, but Pilate. Who's Pilate? He is the most powerful man in all of Palestine. Okay? Government. But he's the most powerful man. I mean, if he said off with your head, it'd be off with your head. So, from the world's perspective, he's the most powerful man in Palestine, yes? Yes. And so put that in your picture today. Whoever it is that you want to put there, whether it's the, the governor, you know, Nathan Deal, whether it's the, the president, you know, um, whoever it is in your, in your mind, whether it's a judge down, you know, in the, in the courthouse or whatever, that's who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus comes back and he says, you could have no exousia, you could have no power, no authority at, at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus had strong confidence in the face of that worldly authority because he knew that there is no authority, Romans 13, that is given except from that which is given by God. And when you understand that, when you understand the spiritual war of it all, and that God in his, his uh, wisdom and sovereignty has allowed the, gov- the, 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 the government that is to be then there was great confidence. Now, sometimes God allows it because we deserve it. Do you understand? I mean, he didn't bring it because he just wanted to to, to mess with us, but we got what we asked for, like Israel got Saul. Does that make sense? They wanted the king. They wanted to be like all the nations. And be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of your mind. But they wanted to be conformed to the world. They wanted to be like the nations. And so God said, okay, fine. I'll give you something just like the nations. You want it, you got it. And then they what? Regretted it. That's exactly right. Okay? And so, 
So Jesus said, listen, the authority, the power that you have is extremely limited, and it is inferior to that which is coming from above. That which is above is supreme. It is superior to any and all authority that man ever has. Turn back to John 10. In fact, this power, this authority is so superior, Jesus says in John 10, that it extends beyond what we understand as the realm. Um, Authority here can take life, but authority here can't what? Give life. Jesus said in John uh, 10, verse 17, He says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may what? I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to rise up again, to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The authorities here on the earth may have been given the power to take life, but they can't bring it back. Jesus can. God can. And one day, because of that power, that authority, you and I have the hope, the confidence that we also will be caught up to meet him in the air and we will spend forever in his presence. It's an amazing thing. The superiority of the power of light. You can look at Romans 8 later, but you know the passage Romans 8, 38, 39, where it says that there is nothing, neither high, uh, light nor darkness nor sword nor peril nor all these things that will what? Separate us from the love of Christ. That we are overcomers, we are over victors in Jesus Christ because the power and the authority that he has is over anything else. But let's turn... Oh, I even had it there. Look at that. Sorry about that. I had you turn to him and I had him all up there for us. Maybe. There we go. Romans 8, 38, 39. All right, but let's move on to the spirit, to the personal nature of the war. The personal nature of the war. First, I want to look at, in this personal nature of the war, um, Christ, very clearly. Um, he was the, the central figure in this battle in Luke 22. And, um, and to consider what was going on here. Well, first of all, as we read this passage, we see the, the frontal attack that's going on. And, and who is, um, is he attacked by? His enemy, right? Who are his enemies? Well, not necessarily Judas. Well, the Sanhedrin. Okay, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Okay, it's all those guys. Those, those guys were there. In fact, what we see in, in Luke 22, verse 2, okay, go back. We didn't read that verse in our Bible reading, but that's really part of that context as well. And it says, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. It was the beginning of the Passover. They wanted him dead, but they didn't want to cause an uprising of the people. And so they're trying to figure out how are they going to kill him. And elsewhere we read that they didn't want to necessarily do it during the Passover, you know, because of the people. Okay, so they're trying to figure out how, they, how can they get all these things to happen the way it happened. Um, and things changed a little bit when Judas entered into the scene. Okay, and so, but we see right off the bat that they wanted to kill him. Turn back to John 5, John chapter 5. John 5, verse 16, beginning verse 16 says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. What kind of things did he do? He healed people. Yeah. Broke, not, didn't break their laws, 
He broke their customs. He broke their traditions, their rules. It, what the, their interpretations of the laws that they made. And so it's important for us to distinguish between those things. Okay? Jesus asked, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? In other words, he was going by the, the law. They were going by their customs and traditions. Okay? And so they, they, they wanted to kill him because he did these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought to kill him the more, because he not only broke the Sabbath, or so they thought, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They got it. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses come and they go, no, no, he didn't say that. They got it. The Jews got it. That's why later in, in, in chapter 8 they're trying to do what? Trying to stone him. They're trying to stone him at that point. You know, because he said it again. You know, I, you know before Abraham was uh, Yahweh, I am. He used the name. He declared, he made himself equal with Yahweh. He declared that he was Yahweh. And, and again, you don't see that in the English, but in, in, the, in the Greek side, ego e me, he, he emphatically, emphatically three times in John chapter 8 claims to be Yahweh. Okay? Um, so anyways, so we had this personal nature of the war, um, and we're considering Christ. He was attacked by his enemies. Okay? But secondly, and you can look at these other passages as well, where it continues on talking about how they wanted to kill him. But what was even worse for him in this personal nature of the war was that not only was he attacked by his enemies, but he was deserted by his disciples. And you all know, it's one thing to be attacked by your enemy. It's another thing when you're what? When your friends and family abandon you. Then you feel what? All alone. I don't think Jesus was any different. First of all, he was deserted by who? Judas. We know that, right? Luke 22. Hopefully you still have your finger there, because I said we'll just keep going back to it. In Luke 22, beginning at verse 21, we see that, but behold, Jesus said, you know, as we're doing the, the, the Last Supper, he says, Behold, the hand of my, ta- my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes that has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And then drop down to verse 47. And while he was still speaking, that is Jesus speaking to Peter, James, and John, behold a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so Jesus, we're told, when he chose the twelve, understood that he was choosing Judas Iscariot, who would later what? Betray him. So he understood that. But still, the pain still has to be there. That a guy that you just spent that spent three years with you, through thick and thin, that watched you do all these miracles, that was on the boat where they said, "Who is this guy?" When when he was walking in the water, when he was calming the storm, when he was healing the demoniac, when he did when he raised up Lazarus, Judas is there, and to have this guy exchange him for thirty pieces of silver. Proverbs says a good name is rather to be had than much gold and silver. Judas sought to exchange his good name, quote unquote. Now, on his behalf, some have 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 um, postulated that you know he was a zealot, and so his desire was only to seek to force Jesus' hand about taking the kingdom of God and to, to establish it. Whatever it is, I don't know. I just go by what the Word of God says that. The word of God calls him a betrayer. Betrayer. And um, 
And so that must have been a hard thing. But when Jesus then was talking, we see in verse 47, it says, while he was still speaking, then a multitude came. Who was he speaking to? At that point in verse 47. Peter, James, and John. The disciples who had fallen asleep. Fallen asleep where? In the Garden of Gethsemane. The three that he had taken with him, a stone's throw, so that he, and he went stone's throw further to pray with him. And he asked them specifically to pray with him. And he said to Peter, what? Pray lest you fall to temptation, right? And he comes back to them, and he finds them what? Sleeping. And so he challenges them again. Pray so you don't fall to temptation. He comes back again, and he finds them again sleeping. Okay, you can, you can go look um, in other passages for that as well, um, in the book of Matthew and stuff. And so now he has been betrayed by not only Judas, but by his what? Three closest guys. What do you think the job of those three guys were to pray with him? To also be watchmen. You know, on Tuesday we had the story in CEF about um, um, Saul chasing David. And Saul's hiding out in the cave, you know. And, and one story where, where Saul has come with his army and his, his legions of, of men. And he's sleeping in the valley. And um, uh, I'm, mine's blanking out on his defender. Who was his general of the army? Abner, thank you. And Abner is what? Sleeping beside him. He's got this inner core of guys that are around him who are supposed to be what? Defending the king, watching, defending the king. And they all fell asleep. And while they slept, David and, was it Joab? I'm trying to think who was with him. Was Joab? Yeah. Came in, snuck into the, into the camp, right up to the king, took the spear and the water jug, and could have, if, if David allowed them, killed the king at that moment. That's Peter, James, and John. They fell asleep on duty. What do you think happens in the military if you fall asleep on duty? Yeah, it doesn't go good, does it? Article 15, what? Got to peel potatoes. Got to do more than peel potatoes. There's Article 15. You might be in the brig for a long period of time. Depending on, I mean, honestly, depending on the warfare, it may be, what? You're shot. That's exactly right. Okay? And so, it's, it's a big deal. And so, Jesus sees this as, again, as betrayal, as desertion to him, okay? Couldn't you pray with me for only an hour, you know? And so then he has his, the, the rest of the, the, the 11, right, that when the, the conflict comes now, what do they do? They all fly. They flee. And I think, I wonder if, you know, I'm not wanting to necessarily compare Jesus to Hagar, but this was from about a week or two ago on a Sunday paper, and I got this one, Okay? So it's total darkness, right? Hagar says, this is this, men, the battle we've been waiting for. Check your weapons and get set. As your leader, Hagar the horrible, I must tell you that we'll be outnumbered badly in tonight's fight. But don't worry, because the total darkness, the enemy can't see us. So, is everyone ready to attack? I said, is everyone ready to attack? In other words, what? Not sleeping, they're gone. They fled. They were all gone. They fled in the face of the enemy. And I wonder sometimes if Jesus feels like Hagar. (sighs) Okay, it's my battle. 
all by myself. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have sometimes. You kind of look back and go, ah, there's nobody with me. And you're fighting alone. Well, what about Peter? I think Peter had a, a personal stake in this battle too. I mean, we just read earlier in verse 31, didn't we? Here we are at the, the, um, the, the Last Supper, right? The, the, the celebration of, of Passover. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, i got something to say to you. And Peter said, say on. And he said, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. Now, you need to understand the context of what was happening there. You go back and we read it as far as the Bible reading. What, what happened just prior to that statement to Peter? No. No, no. no that, not, not before this statement. That happens later. Peter denies Because he says, at this point, he's going to tell Peter, you're going to deny me. And then it happens. What happens just before, Peter, before Jesus says to Peter, um, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat? What was going on? Ah. They talked about the place in the kingdom, and they said that you shouldn't be like the Gentiles. Okay? Well, if you take all the, 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 the synoptic gospels and put them all together again, here's what's going on. They have this, this dinner, right? In the midst of the, 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 the dinner, Jesus says, I just want you guys to know that um, one of you is about to betray me. One, one of you are going to hand the Son of Man over. And I just want you to know it would be better if the person would never been born. Well, what do you think happens at the table when that, that statement happens? Well, they all start asking, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then all of a sudden, this look there, it says, there began to be a debate over what? Who was the, the greatest? Here we are, having Passover, the final supper with Jesus, and all of a sudden the disciples start battling over who's the greatest. Now, I think it started over, it couldn't be me. You know, I mean, because, you know, if you're a betrayer, it's got to be somebody who's what? Close to you, right? And so I could see, you know, people looking, is it Peter? You know, and I could see Peter saying what? Dude, it couldn't be me. I mean, come on, I'm the, I'm the one. Don't you remember out there when, I, when everybody was saying, well, who do you say that I am? And I said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and he turned to me and said, you know, well, you couldn't have done that unless it was from, from the Father. I mean, it had to be me. And you can see the other disciples saying, yeah, but right after that, he said, he turned to you and said, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> you know, and so this whole big battle is going on as far as who the greatest disciple is. And I think Peter, I understand him a lot, having the size 9, 10 mouth, you know, that your foot can go in it very easily. And, uh, you know, Peter is, you know, he's pretty bold. He, he's out there, he, and you know what he's thinking. And so Peter puts it all out there, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, I, I want to tell you something. So I kind of get the feeling that Peter was, was really, you know, putting on the mantle here before it was his mantle to put on. And, um, and he says, I, I, I want to tell you something. Well, what are you going to tell me, Jesus? I want you to know that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, what, do you, what is that picture? Can you picture a sifter? What does a sifter do? It, 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 well, it keeps the bat out, but makes it smaller. But, but how do you do that? There's a, there's, a, there's a grate there, right? Okay, and, and then there's that rotor. And what's the rotor doing? I mean, it's, it's cutting and, and it, it, it's crushing and everything. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's going through. I mean, it's not just a pleasant thing. And so back, think back in those days when they would put the, the wheat in, the, in the, the thing and they would crush it and stuff like that, you know? I mean, it, and so that, that's what he's telling me. He says, listen, you know, Satan is, is, is asked to put you through this process. 
He wants to crush you and sift you and all this kind of stuff. And Peter's thinking, whoa, you know? And I don't know, I'm thinking Peter, you know, is thinking, you know, this is my Lord. You know, he's over everybody. You know, I mean, I've watched him cast demons out, and, and there's nothing that has more greater authority and power than he is. And, and, and Jesus turns around and tells him what? And so I'm praying for you, Peter. Well, why is you praying for me? I mean, if he asked permission, you told him no. Well, it didn't happen that way. I, I gave him permission. But I'm, I'm praying for you. And I just want you to know that when you return to me, read between the lines, what does it say? You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to fail. But when you return to me, please encourage your friends. Please encourage your brethren. What do you think that means? Because they're going to fall flat in their face too. You think you're big and bad, Peter, but I'm telling you, in your own strength, you're nothing. You cannot defend yourself against Satan apart from me. And you need to learn that lesson. Amen. We don't like learning that lesson, but too many times in our own prowess, we think we got it, and God's got to take his hand off for a moment just to let us remember that the water is hot. But I think there's an encouragement there where he says to Peter, but when you come back, because what? You are going to repent. You are going to return. And when you do, you're the leader. You are my man, and I want you to know that. And I want you to be the man who brings them together. Do you get it? What an exciting thing. Do you remember when, when Peter meets with Jesus at the, at, the, at the Sea of Galilee on the shore? And, and they're walking together. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, we're not getting it because you don't, you're only seeing it in English. I want to start this again. And I'm going to tell it to you from the Greek. Because, there's, again, there's, there's various words in Greek for love. There is... Eros, which means a selfish love. I love you for what you do for me. There is phileo, which is a brotherly love. And I love you, but if there's only enough food for me or you, I hope you go find some. Okay? And then there's agapao, which means it's a selfless love. And so if there's only enough food for me or you, it's yours. Because you mean more than I do. Okay? So they're walking along, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you selflessly love me? Well, Peter had already proven what? He didn't. He denied him three times. And so he says, Lord, I phileo you. You know, Peter's an honest guy. How many of you would be honest and say, no, I really don't agapao God. I'm working on it. I want to agapao God, but I'm, maybe I'm a phileo plus, maybe I'm a phileo minus, but I'm, I'm striving to be that agapao thing, you know? But when I get in Christ, when I'm finally there, I know agapao is going to happen because I'm going to see him as he is and I'm going to be made like him. Does that make sense? And so a second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you agapao me? Now, after the first time, I'm sorry, let me go back for a moment. He says, do you agapao me? He says, no, I follow you. He says, feed my sheep. And the second time, he says, Peter, do you agapao me? And Peter says, Lord, I follow you. And he says, feed my lambs. The third time, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you follow me? And that's when Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I follow you. This whole time, that's, Peter's grieved. He knows. I mean, Jesus knew his heart. He knew the whole thing. Do you agapao me? No. No. And Peter had to get it. But then he turned around again and he said at the same time, feed my sheep. I know that you failed. I know that you blew it. I know that you succumbed to the enemy because you, you did it all in your own strength. But you learned the lesson, Peter. You get it now. Go out there and lead my sheep. Feed my sheep. Encourage my sheep. 
exhort my sheep, charge my sheep, get them moving. Let them know that they can't do it in their own strength. And that early church got it. When Peter and John were whipped and they came back to the church, they were rejoicing in the, in the scourgings that they had received for Christ. The whippings. And the church got together and they prayed and they thanked the Lord that they were counted worthy of this. And in the face of the persecution, they didn't ask for the, uh, for the um, Christian Lawyers Association or whatever, the, the, you know, you know, to come in and defend them, they asked for boldness. That in the face of this, that they wouldn't back down. But they would be bold to proclaim the, the, the name of Christ. They weren't worried about whether they were going to lose their life. They weren't worried about whether they were going to be thrown in jail. Look at the believers around the world right now. The persecuted church, the voice of the martyrs. That we look at these guys and go, oh man, what's going on? Those people pray for you. Because we got it too easy here, and American Christians will not stand. Because they're Americans first and Christians second. And we like our pleasures. And we're not hardened to the battle. But the battle's coming, folks. Sometimes I feel like, oh, the British. Oh, no, 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 no. World War II. Um, Winston Churchill, the storm rising. Well, but Winston Churchill wasn't liked because he cried out, the storm is rising. He saw what was going on in Germany and he cried out. And nobody wanted to hear them. Rather, they wanted to hear, and his name just slipped me past, um, the liberal guy, Chamberlain. Thank you. You guys are good. I'm glad the historian guys are here. And, you know, who, who kept saying, oh no, peace, peace. It's all wonderful. <laughs> and, and, that, that's right. I got, you know, and, 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 and Churchill is crying out, and I'm, I mean, I feel like I've been crying out for over a decade now, be prepared. It, the storm cloud is rising. Would you please just look at what's going on in the world and how it's creeping in? You know, you kind of look out there and like, I feel like Jesus sometimes. You know, you can look out and you can see the storm clouds and you can tell the signs, but you can't tell the signs of the seasons when it's coming into your face spiritually. The storm is rising. The clouds are getting darker. And we better be ready for the war. Anyways, Peter, he was targeted by Satan. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't know whether Satan has ever asked for Bob. He might have asked for me, but I'm sure he didn't himself come. He just he said, we'll send him one of the little guys. You know, one of the, send him greed. Send him lust. Send him, you know, whatever. You know, just send him, send, send Bob, you know, send him Bob. He was targeted by Satan himself. But what made him fall? He was torpedoed by self. He was torpedoed by self. And that's what torpedoes us as well. That's what ultimately takes us down. Because God is your rock and your fortress, your strong deliverer. You can be as strong as Job in the face of those trials and temptations. It's our decision who we're going to trust in the midst of those things. How we're going to look at them. Do you believe that there is nothing that Satan can do to you? There's nothing that the world can do to you. There is nothing even health-wise that can happen to you that God hasn't allowed. These last couple weeks have been murder on me with, with allergies. 
But I know that God in His grace could remove it all, and I wouldn't have to deal with this at all. But you know what? As I go through this stuff, man, I am looking forward to my, my, my resurrected body. <laughs> okay? And, and I'm thanking the Lord for the gift of a voice. There are some people who don't have it. To remember in the midst of the whole thing that it is a spiritual war. What's your impression of the war? Well, from Ephesians 6, and I won't read all this right now, we know it's a spiritual war. Again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If it's not the way you look at things, you need to repent. Repent means change the way you think. Okay? And it's not just a word that we go to unbelievers and tell them they've got to repent so they can get saved. We are continually told to repent. Change the way we think. Secondly, how strongly are you resisting the devil? Well, God's word says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee from you. Do you know why he doesn't flee sometimes? Because we don't resist. Because we give in. We, we buckle back. But if we would be in the word, memorizing. I mean, what, is, what does David say? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I mean, I shared, you know, about um, my struggle memorizing First Thessalonians right now. You know, I get into chapter 3, and I'm at the end of chapter 3, and it's a struggle to get to the chapter 4. And I was telling this to the victors, actually. And, um, well, chapter 4, and I, it was awesome because on Friday morning I went hunting for just a little bit before we went to the job site, and, um, and I always take my memory cards with me. And so, um, so I, was, I had an opportunity, and I had just spent the last 45 minutes to an hour in darkness, you know, while we're waiting for, you know, you get out early so that the scent's down and all that kind of stuff, just praying. And one of the things I was really praying about, Lord, I, I want victory over this. I mean, I want strength. To, I mean, I know there's a struggle getting over 3 into 4 because the beginning of chapter 4 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, you know, that we should not be given over to sexual morality and not in the lust as the rest of the Gentiles. You know, I mean, I know that Satan doesn't want me to have more power, more, more verses to, to attack the, the fights when they come. Does that make sense? I mean, because how, how do we go against, how did Jesus attack the, 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 the things of Satan? The Word of God. And so we ought to be equipped with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so that as He comes, we're able to do battle. But if you don't know it, if you don't have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, then you can't resist the devil. And he's going to come at you like an onslaught. Does anybody know how the Russians, um, at least this is 20 years ago when I was in, um, would do their attacks, their, their assaults? They attack at one point. That's exactly right. They, they hoard a mass, and they attack at one point. And they seek to break through the line, and then from the behind, then they seek to raise havoc. Okay? I mean, I mean, being in the military, we studied all the strategies and that kind of stuff. And so we were prepared for that. We had to be constantly on the lookout for where they were amassing to know at what point they were going to attack the line so that we could try to bring in reinforcements to that part of the line. But you didn't want to bring the whole line over there because they could be putting on a ruse to say we're going to attack here, but they're really attacking someplace else. Does it make sense? And so you have to be ready, as we talked about in Sunday school, the watchman on the watchtower, you have to be ready at all times to be looking out there. Well, you've got to have the Word of God. If you're not equipped with the Word of God, you're not going to be able to resist those. So, how strongly are you resisting the devil? I would tell you that, it's, it, that it is equivalent with, it is, it is um, correlated to how much time you're spending in God's presence and in his word. How strongly are you opposed to the works of the darkness? Ephesians 5 tells us that you once were darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, 
but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. So not only are you, were you once darkness, but now you're light, you shouldn't have any fellowship with the stuff of the darkness. It doesn't mean that you don't go to them and try to witness to them and draw them out of darkness into the light, but it means that you don't join with them in their what? In their darkness. 1 John 1, this is the message which you've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I'm not saying it. God's saying it. I'm just the messenger. And all I can tell you is that I struggle just like you struggle. But we have got to become committed more and more and more against the wiles of the devil. The battle is raging. It really is. Even though we don't see it, just like a little town of Bethlehem didn't see it. But it was there. And it was there when Jesus, at Jesus' arrest, Jesus stated it. This is your hour and the power of darkness. There's, this isn't flesh and blood. I understand the fact that there's something going on behind. You guys don't get it, but you're just being used as pawns right now. And this is all being played out according to God's word. And right now, we don't get it. But guess what? It's all being played out. And you have to see yourselves as soldiers of God. Be strong and of good courage. Isn't that what Yahweh said to Joshua? As we're going into the land and we're going to fight all these enemies? Be strong and of good courage. I'm with you. Wherever you go. And wherever your sandal meets, it'll be yours. Jesus told us that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against the church. That doesn't mean that we're defending against hell. That means that instead of sitting here back here defending, rather we should be doing what? Banging down the gates of hell so we can redeem people, not we ourselves, but Christ redeems, and you understand, but we can be used as a tool of God to go in um, with those forays into the enemy territory, grabbing the prisoners and bringing them back into the light. That being said, we have an opportunity to go door to door tonight at 5 o'clock. Anyways, I didn't uh, mean to do that little advertisement, but it kind of fits, doesn't it? So, Psalm 27, you can read this later, but just the beginning of it is just an awesome thing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh, the Lord, is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat at my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Yahweh, and to inquire in his temple. And you can read the rest of that, that later. Again, there is this thing that goes together, that deliverance from the, salva- from, from the temptations and trials that goes together with your desires for the Lord. If you have no desire for God, you know, this one thing I desired, I desired to be in the presence of the Lord, you know? God delivered me. It kind of goes together. And so if you're, if you're struggling and if you're falling, maybe honestly, you have to go down deep in him this one, okay? And Bob has to do this himself. Maybe honestly, I'm struggling in my, my loyalty to God. Now, it doesn't mean that the hard times aren't going to come. Do you understand? What it means is how I'm dealing with the hard times as they come. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Hard times are going to be there. It's just part of life, okay? He's going to give Satan permission to bring things. It's how you deal with them that reveals how close-knit you are with Christ. 
Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to, to be firm, to be staunch in our stand. And I'm mindful of, of Paul's word to the, the Thessalonians is, now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be those who stand fast and, and that we would be able to look out and to, 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 to give you the glory and praise for, for those who are standing fast in the midst of the trials and tribulations of this world. Lord, I pray that as the days grow darker, that you would help us to grow brighter. And Lord, that we would be like the cities that are set upon the hill, whose light cannot be hid. That you would receive the honor and the glory that you rightly deserve. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.